Soylent is a drinkable food substitute designed by software engineers. John Coogan is the CTO of Soylent and also the co-founder. Um, John, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. For people who don't know, what is Soylent? So Soylent right now is the the easiest healthy meal in the galaxy. We focus on three core tenets being healthy, affordable, and convenient. So uh, we've designed the, the nutritional profile to be extremely balanced. Um, it's not designed explicitly for weight loss or weight gain. It's more just something to be um, completely healthy and um, keep you going um, regardless of what, you're, what, what activity you're pursuing. Um, we design um, the ingredients to be extremely healthy but also affordable. The latest product is available for about uh, $2.40 per meal. And it's also extremely convenient since it comes pre-bottled now, shipped straight to your door. Uh, you just kind of put it in the fridge, open it up, and uh, drink it, and you're, you're satiated. This show is typically about software engineering, but I suspect that the, there's a large percentage of Soylent's users who are actually software engineers. Why is Soylent and the culture around it so appealing to engineers? Um, I think it's a few things. Um, first, we we take a very uh, aggressive approach to open source. We facilitate not just publishing our our ingredients and recipes. We actually um, have promoted a DIY make your own soylent tool where you can aggregate different nutritional profiles and pick ingredients that's that fit your specific um, lifestyle. So, if you for example, want to make a high-protein version, uh, we help facilitate that. And we're, we're really about growing the community and approaching food from a software engineering mindset. Are, are you trying to replace food altogether? Absolutely not. Uh, absolutely not. No. Um, we, we, we merely see Soylent as a, the nutritional equivalent of water, something that should be widely available, extremely convenient, um, keep you going, essential to your life, but not uh, you know, replace anything, any, any meal that you enjoy or want to indulge in as long as that's in moderation. So how is Soylent different from things like Slim Fast and other meal replacement supplements that we've seen in the past? Sure. So uh, there's a few ways. Um, first, um, we've taken a very um, a, a much more thorough look at the ingredients required to keep the human body healthy uh, on a daily basis. Uh, most of those, uh, m- many other products are targeted at a specific uh, nutritional outcome like weight loss or uh, muscle gain. There really isn't anything for somebody who's just maybe going to work and doesn't want to have to wake up an extra hour early to cook breakfast or maybe can't afford to go out to you know, a nice restaurant for dinner, maybe just wants to grab something quick. So um, we really see our product as being different in that we focus on being healthy, convenient, and affordable. And, you know, a lot of the discussions that we have on the show are kind of about integrating different pieces of software. Soylent seems more about the integration of uh, external chemicals and the way that our human body functions. And then along the way, there's all kinds of debugging in that integration process. What is the difference between debugging our bodies 
and the things we put into it versus debugging our code and debugging our engineering technologies? Sure. Well, I think uh, since we didn't ourselves design the human body, it's a lot more complex. <laughs> but um, well, we use external APIs all the time. Absolutely. And, and fundamentally, you can look at the, the human body as an input and output function. You take in calories, you uh, expend calories. And um, if you run a deficit of calories, you'll most likely lose weight. If you uh, consume too, more, too, too many more calories than what you're burning, you'll eventually gain weight. And there's been a whole lot of... of progress in calorie tracking in in the sense of uh keep your phone in your pocket understand how many calories you're burning as a rough proxy for how much you're moving um, there really haven't been as many um initiatives towards understanding what you're putting into your body so um there are a lot of great tracking apps where you can put a detailed profile together and track every nutrient that goes into your body. But um, with Soylent, we, we feel like we've come up with a pretty healthy mix of ingredients that um, can, you can live reliably on. So as you've been iterating on the process of uh, designing the Soylent recipe, what are the problems that come up? What are the engineering difficulties in, in terms of just the ingredient uh, preparation process? Um, there are a lot. Uh, so I'm not too involved in the, in the actual product development anymore. Um, that's, that's kind of a, a separate team. And we've hired an amazing team of experts from food scientists with PhDs to, to biologists from Caltech. And I've been really impressed with what they're doing. But um, I, I actually don't understand the challenges that they face on a daily basis anymore. Mm. Um, but um, I don't know. I can. I, I just wouldn't really be able to kind of go through any, sure, any, any sure. deeper. Sure. I mean, well, okay. So, but from, from a high level, at least, how, sure. how at Soylent, like how much credence does the company give to the conventional science of nutrition? Or is most of the science that has been done kind of regarded skeptically or? I think, I mean, we absolutely do stand on the shoulders of giants. There are, there are some uh, incredible uh, research and progress that has been made into food science and, and understanding the human body. There is a lot of of misinformation out there as well. So um, consumer education and really pushing um, people towards reliable sources of information, whether it's from uh, the Institute of Medicine or the or the FDA or other kind of large large bodies of of scientists, has been uh, a big challenge. But fortunately, we've been able to kind of facilitate that through our community and the internet and the fact that um, it's such an open place that we can um, really create a forum for people to share reliable information amongst um, scientifically minded folks. And uh, we, we, we think we've come to a very, a very solid conclusion. So we will get into the the technical aspects of what you work with day to day as the CTO sure. of Soylent, but I, I I still want to get a better idea. And, and for pe people who are not familiar with Soylent, paint sure. uh, paint a paint a bigger picture. How much Soylent do you drink yourself? I drink a lot of it. So um, I am six foot eight and can burn around three thousand or four thousand calories a day, but 
depending on how physically active I am. Um, and I probably consume about 2,000 calories of Soylent a day, which is a little confusing because 2,000 calories is also the, uh, the FDA's recommended caloric intake for an average uh, American male. Um, but I, I, but to put it simply, I consume about two thirds of my calories from Soylent. And that typically comes in the form of, uh, what would normally be a breakfast and lunch, but instead of having, um, maybe an 800 calorie breakfast and then stopping for an 800 calorie lunch or so, um, I'll just drink 400 calorie bottles of, of Soylent, um, in, in our ready to drink form, uh, over the course of over the course of the day, so maybe one at one at six a.m., one at eight a.m., one at ten a.m., one at noon, and then kind of balance things out so that my metabolism is pretty pretty even keel throughout the day. Hmm. So as you've been onboarding with Soylent and drinking an increasing amount of it for your diet, have you noticed any significant health changes or what? Like, what are the risks and the and the benefits of drinking Soylent? I don't. I don't know. I, 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 I worry about speaking anecdotally, um, merely because people tend to take anecdotes out of context in, 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 when it comes to these types of things. But I mean, I, I, I feel great. I'm, I'm healthy. I, I go see my doctor regularly and get blood panels done and, and everything is normal in me. Um, we're doing a lot more studies to kind of quantify the, the effects of this on, all sorts of different blood markers and stuff, and we, we, we should have some exciting exciting results coming out. Um, nothing your, that I can your talk gut, about yet. But your gut biome check. Yeah, yeah. They uh, we did uh, a, a partnership with UBiome um, to cool. collect some some microbiome data, um, and it's still it's still early days though before um, we can get to anything that's that's really solid. Okay, interesting. In, in in terms of in terms of findings that we that we feel would stand up in a in a peer reviewed journal, for example. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and that is ultimately where we want to go, which I I think does set us apart from other food companies, where um the where the goal is really to get to a claim that you can defend in court. We we want to defend our claims in in scientific journals, really. Yeah, and I guess yeah, it is tough to. Well, it's not tough, but it's a process to move from the anecdotal beginnings of you know the 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 n equals one where it was just Rob blogging and yeah. like, <clears throat> when I was in college, I was following his blog about Soylent, and then uh, you know I was making my own a little bit, and sure. I, I found the process pretty fun and interesting. Um, yeah, it didn't feel completely safe for me because I was <laughs> yeah. like mixing chemicals in my kitchen and like sometimes i put a little too much sulfur and you're like oops yep. like that i don't know what what that could result in but um, yeah absolutely not gonna mess around with it <laughs> yeah 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 we've certainly come a long long way from the from the kind of the diy days uh, of of three years or i guess almost four years ago now um we have a great uh, director of or, or head of head of quality control. Now we use uh, all FDA certified facilities and follow uh, a huge rep, a huge repertoire of good manufacturing practices. And um, it's been really, really just incredible seeing the company grow up and become what it has been. I've been really, really happy with it, with all of that. So, as CTO, are, are you? Was that part of your responsibility, like scaling up the? 
the um, the output of Soylent production while maintaining quality, or did, was your is your role as CTO more to hire the right people that actually do that? Uh, so as as CTO, I do actually focus on software engineering in the company. Um, the The role of manufacturing and production is uh, in within our operations division. Um, another co-founder, Matt Cobble, runs runs that. Uh, organization within within Soylent and uh, has done a great job building a team that um, can liaise with suppliers and manufacturers as we grow. And that is um, th- there have certainly been massive scaling problems or challenges, I suppose, um, dating back to our crowdfunding where we. We raised a lot of money and then had to go and produce uh, a great product very quickly. But fortunately, we, we we did get the first batches out the door. We were able to iterate on the formula, which was at, at that point was 1.0. We we released five incremental revisions to that to get to 1.5, and uh, we just announced uh, two, a 2.0 product that now comes pre-bottled instead of uh, instead of as a powder. Um, so I'm really curious about the scaling process because I mean I I had sure. crowdfunded around that time and I was seeing the occasional updates and it got delayed. And I was like, I know these guys are working hard on it. um, But I imagine things must have been totally crazy around that time. And so I'm curious, when you have a project that's taking off and you have a limited amount of people who are working on it, um, how do you how do you narrow the the roles and the responsibilities of the different people within the company? Like, how did you get relegated specifically to software engineering and did that potentially bleed into other things where it became problematic and you didn't know what to focus on like how did that process yeah. go early on yeah early on um i think yeah it, it felt like a very natural process everyone kind of um in the very very early days kind of everyone tackled every problem uh, because they kind of came through one at a time. We'd have something like we need a we we need a crowdfunding site, and everyone would would you know gather together to produce the best crowdfunding website we could, and um, we'd kind of divide up things based on skill sets. So a certain group would go off and make the video. Another group would write be responsible for writing the copy. Somebody who you know was capable would. Um, make sure the the site worked and was hooked up to a payments platform effectively. Um, and, and that's just kind of where my, where my passion and interest lie. So naturally it was something that I wanted to, to wanted to develop and grow. And then as we, as we started growing, we launched a, uh, a subscription service where you can um, subscribe and receive Soylent every month. And uh, once we, once we knew that we, uh, once we saw really the consumer behavior and the demand for regular shipments of Soylent, since it is a consumable good, um, we we knew that we were going to have to um, build something fairly custom, since there weren't at that time, and I'm not I, I, I'm not aware of any at this at this point in time, um, really. Uh, recurring billing solutions built around the shipment of physical products and the fulfillment of physical products. Uh, there are some great websites for uh, one-off shipping products uh, and, and just general e-commerce frameworks for that. But 
we wanted people to be able to come in and buy it one time and then come back and subscribe if they find themselves buying it uh, uh, repeatedly. And then we also wanted to layer on a whole host of other features around shipment tracking and really build kind of a world-class uh, e-commerce experience since we saw the the web as a massive opportunity for uh, the next kind of stage of growth for the food industry. So Amazon does this for servers with AWS. It sounds sure. like the 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 infrastructure. So I guess FBA, the the fulfillment by Amazon service, the totally yeah. different thing. I, I sure. suppose that's not there yet, where you can uh, you know spin up your own um, fulfillment process. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There are there are a few services out there, um, and we we use some of them. We've partnered with Shipwire um, to do the the fulfillment s- section, and then we use Stripe for payments. Um, but really, to be able to kind of bring all of these systems together, we needed a custom platform. So that's something where uh, at the be- at the at the end of last year, we started investing on in software engineering and bringing all of our data internally, so we could start doing more analysis on the business, um, automating fulfillment, so that we could grow from one person using spreadsheets to instead of ten people using spreadsheets, one person using an automated tool to manage the the fulfillment process, mm. um, and and that kind of let us scale scale revenue and and shipments um, disproportionately to headcount. So we were able to remain small as a company uh, and move quickly while delivering more value for the customer. So this is totally prototypical technology company problem where you have one person or ten people working on a solution that they've just hacked together through Excel and, and and they decide, okay, we need to figure out a better way to do this. What, what was that problem? Like what were you tackling and, and how did you approach it? There were all, there were all sorts of problems oh, no. and we, and, and we saw, we saw this as a really unique opportunity to build a new food company from the ground up with a technology first mindset and, 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 and build some, some really great tools. Um, when we, when we kind of surveyed other companies in the food industry, the larger, the larger organizations really had tools that they hated even some of the people that we you know eventually hired that came from larger organizations had had to teach themselves vba because their excel sheets got so so <laughs> so so out of control that they were that you have food scientists who are building software tools to make their lives easier and and that just seems like an odd separation of concerns but so we saw we saw a really great opportunity to kind of um build a a food company that takes technology seriously from the ground up and have that be maybe our competitive advantage as we as we grow and scale. So there are a whole bunch of, of, of great anecdotes about ways that we that we um, uh, that we started using technology to allow us to scale faster than we could have otherwise given our limited budget and limited human resources. Um, one in particular that comes to mind was the, the very first shipments of Soylent. Um, so we had finally gotten uh, the 1.0 powder bags produced. We, were, uh, we, were, we sent them off to a fulfillment center that was the only one that we could really afford at the time um, by the name of Heritage Paper in Northern California. And we were sending them Excel sheets 
of crowdfunding backer orders with a line item for what we wanted to send them, where we wanted to send it, what the weight of the package was, and then they would go and print the labels on it. And then they would manually send us a sheet of what they sent out for that day. So it was a huge mess because every day we would get a different format for a spreadsheet. I wouldn't have had a problem with it if it was if it was standard because I could have written a script that ingested that into a database and made it uh, like accessible. Um, but every day, because somebody was doing it manually, we'd get completely different data. So it was impossible to really store or archive that, that tracking data. So what we did was we actually drove out to the fulfillment center, bought a, a laptop, a printer, and a Wi-Fi chip or a 4G uh, like LTE card and uh, hooked it up through a, a, a third-party shipping software so that we could remotely print labels from our office, and they would print and spill out onto the floor of the warehouse. So we basically just replaced everything that they were doing there with a system that just gave them labels, and they could just go and put that on the actual boxes and ship them out. Oh, wow. So not a lot of amazing code written there, but a... But a, but a solution that got us, you know, leaps and bounds above where we were. Yeah, I think you go into gruesome detail in this. Uh, there's, a, there's an article called How We Spent $500 on Tech to Ship $2.6 Million of Soylent. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, you mentioned that there were some other anecdotes. What, what are the other give, – give me a, a more – uh, an, another anecdote around the early logistical challenges of, of shipping soil and, and how you uh, used software to ameliorate those problems. Um, let me think. I'm not sure if I have anything handy. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, I think in general, um, it's, it's all underscored by our, you know, our commitment to deliver an affordable product, which is very, very difficult in the early days. So with, with $3 million in, in revenue um, and product that we had to deliver, we had to make and order ingredients and assemble them and ship them all for less than that, or we would, or we would lose money. And we wanted to, you know, make sure that we were growing the business. Um, so we, we really did have to find any opportunity and really seek out those, those cost-cutting measures to allow us to deliver on you know, Rob's original vision of a healthier, cheaper, and easier alternative to what, we were, what, what is otherwise available. Um, that's very, very difficult for a startup in a physical space to deliver on a, on a, on a, on a cost-competitive solution. Um, Easier in software where the variable cost is a little bit lower or typically negligible, but um, it was it was definitely the right thing at the time. Um, we're you know definitely glad to be growing uh, growing up and taking um, more more diligence around um, uh, creating truly scalable solutions that that example I gave about the the, the, the shipping system, um, you know, it, it worked at the time, clearly not uh, the backbone of our, of our infrastructure now. You know, I, I worked at Amazon briefly, and sure. one of the things that's built into the Amazon culture that they always are talking about is this thriftiness that yeah. had to be present from early on in the business because 
they're just like, this is a low margin business fundamentally. Um, do you feel like that thriftiness has gotten built into Soylent's culture? Absolutely. Yeah. And I definitely think it's served us well. Um, I mean, there are of course things where we, you, you don't want to be thrifty, like, um, employee benefits, pay. We're not asking people to come work for us for less than what they'd be paid elsewhere or anything like that. Rats but, in the factory. <laughs> um, we, we have definitely, um, saved a lot of money over the time, but, um, it's getting, it's getting a lot better. Yeah. One of the things I was curious about, you know, you mentioned after the the sort of 1.0 crowdfunding and rollout, you you sounded like you were convinced that that there was a demand there. I'm curious how you knew um, what percentage of maybe this is too inside baseball, but like what percentage of the people that had crowdfunded Soylent were buying it on a novelty basis versus people that were just were actually going to be subscribers that were in it for the long haul. Cause I, I imagine, yeah. I imagine that was, that was influential on how much you wanted to scale up the organization. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, even before we released the first crowdfunding orders, we were running a beta program with our, with our friends and family where we would make the product by hand and ship it to them. And we actually were, uh, charging them. So we, although we recruited from our, you know, first degree, second degree networks, um, there was a real cost to participating in this and we wanted to get real feedback. We didn't, we, we knew that if we, you know, sent a free bag of the product to somebody's relative, they would probably tell us, yeah, it's great. But (laughs) we, but, but we wanted to see what people actually did with their, if they put their money where their mouth was. So, um, so we set up a little, a little micro site where we could, uh, take e-commerce payments, had a password on it and, uh, really watched what people would do and how much people would order and how frequently they would order. Um, and that allowed us to, I mean, first see that subscriptions were, were clear and obvious, but also, um, kind of eventually, um, uh, sk- use that to scale up demand. And, um, I mean, the numbers that have come from the, f- the first beta program are still kind of hold true to this day. Like mm. a, a lot of people that try the product, um, find a great fit with it and stick with it for a long time. Um, if you, if you can effectively build it into kind of your workflow, it really does become a productivity enhancer like any other life hacker or, productivity tool hmm. it's just something that you rely on you just assume that it's there um, it kind of melts away and makes you a little bit more productive interesting so if you had the data science infrastructure that you could imagine your most wildest dreams what are the the questions that you would be trying to answer or that you would be able to answer there are a lot um i need to think uh, <laughs> So there are a lot around kind of just how we grow the business, how much we, how much product we order, uh, anticipating, sorry, the, the dog is being left. That's all right. Um, you got to give it the uh, Soylent. It needs a yes. daily dose of Soylent. Yes. Yes. Of course. Um, so. Soylent for dogs. Sounds like a pretty good startup. Soylent, Soylent for dogs. I think that's just dog food. Um, I think he's already on the Soylent for Dogs chain. But um, in terms of data, there's there's so much that 
that we rely on to make data-driven decisions, and we are ever aspirational to increase that across finance, operations, marketing, engineering, um, product development. Uh, we still have a beta program that is large and growing, and we take constant feedback on what we can do better to improve the product. And then I think in the future, we really want to make sure that we're just going deeper into let's use data to drive manufacturing decisions and then drive ingredient decisions and then ingredient development decisions and really push towards a, a fully informed data-driven decision chain. So I'm curious how you, how your strategy, um, it, how you're planning your strategy to get to that vision of a real data-driven data science organization. Like I did, I did an interview with uh, with a Spotify data scientist sure. recently, and um, Spotify has gotten to the point they're a mature enough organization where the entire infrastructure is built such that the data really gets ingested in a um, a a way that can be queried in a, in, a, in a beneficial manner. And it's, and there's not as much data cleaning. I think in, in, in less mature organizations, sometimes yeah. they're, they're just growing, their schema is changing. They have to go through these processes of data cleaning. So I'm curious what your strategy is to, to mature over time and get towards a situation where the data gets ingested into your system and then maybe you just have data scientists that can easily and quickly query it and 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 you know how do you build that in as a like maybe as a cultural organization that's that's a good point uh i mean we we definitely have done a ton of data cleaning and a ton of etl work uh to get to where we are which is the pretty much anything that's tied to a customer has been ingested into into a database um but there's a lot more that we can do in terms of uh acquiring acquiring data and i think we're we're most ambitious about acquiring data about the uh the the supply chain and the and the ingredients and learning more about what goes into the product at the most fundamental level level Interesting. So, so you're trying to break stuff down even further into its component constituent parts. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, with, with deciding, um, what protein to use, the, the ratio of various amino acids is important. Um, with deciding what fat to use, the omegas are very important fatty acids. Um, and these with, with carbs, it's the glycemic load and glycemic index and the, and the, 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 the impact on your blood sugar essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we, we, we can make, we can make decisions at this, at, at the, at the, the higher level of looking at the, the impact on the human body. But I think we'd eventually like to get to a place where we can, um, where we can look at the, 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 the fundamentals of the, of the materials that we're using. Okay. So let's zoom out and, and <clears throat> talk a little bit about the, the broader picture. And I, I want to hear some about your background, but there, there was, there was a recent Andreessen Horowitz podcast um, discussing Soylent and the topic of anti-science came up. <clears throat> do, you, do you think that there's a streak of anti-scientific sentiment in the world today? And, and do you think that that affects uh, sometimes your, your ability to, uh, to evangelize Soylent successfully? That certainly sounds reasonable. Um, I, 
I think there are, are certainly pockets or, or communities of um, kind of anti-science evangelists, and there are also communities of of pro-science uh, evangelists, and we're you know hopefully growing the latter faster than the former. Interesting. I mean, like I, I consider myself a scientist, certainly, but sure, but I, but I sometimes feel like kind of a black sheep among some other scientists, because I think that many of the claims that scientists often want to make are not backed up by enough data to get a causal relationship. You know, there'll be these like, sure. I don't know, weekly correlative relationships that'll come out of papers sure. and then they get blasted in the New York Times as causal relationships. Yeah. And it's like, uh, Nassim Taleb has a term for it. He calls it uh, epistemic arrogance. When you're, sure. you know, you're looking at data and you kind of make these claims that are not really backed up. So when, when you're looking at data within Soylent and, you know, you, you say like, okay, Soylent has this uh, observable effect on the body. Um, therefore, we're going to make this conclusion. Sure. How, how do you avoid epistemic arrogance? Hmm. I think probably most importantly is just waiting until you actually have true statistical statistical significance as opposed to just these weak correlative um, things. And, and, and that's why we have, sh- we have yet to re- release any of, of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we are still studying the effect of the product. And we, uh, this, this is not um, a, this is not a, like a one, a one month project or even <laughs> a one year project, or uh, this is something that will take years for us to really advance humanity's understanding of nutrition is something that will, it, it takes decades to get uh, significant breakthroughs in, in, in these fields. So I think just understanding the, the, the realities of, of the, the amount of effort it takes to, to, break to have a scientific breakthrough is and being realistic about that is is important i think if we can get to to get to a point where um everyone understands that that uh these things take time will everyone will be better off as opposed to wanting to rush to some conclusion immediately how do you think about testing because you you know you 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 conjure up a recipe and you know you're shipping it out to people how do you get feedback from people and and ensure that your the results that maybe the results that you've tested internally extrapolate to the broader consumer population yeah so um i mean in terms of what's in my domain we have set up a beta program where we ingest feedback from 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 beta testers and um we have data scientists on staff that, that do a great job of helping uh, transform that data into actionable results for the product team. But um, I don't work with it on a daily basis. Sure. That makes sense. <clears throat> so you, you studied economics in school. How did you transition to software development? How did you end up being a CTO? Yeah. Uh, so my dad was a software developer and um, I'd been developing software since I was a kid. Um, the first, um, website I made was a, a, a PHP site for my counter-strike team. Uh, like we would play competitive video games and we wanted to have a, have a website so that when other teams would face us, they would, uh, 
be, be aware of us or something like that. So, um, and then, and then as I went through college, I was using programming as a tool to make economic analysis easier. I eventually worked in finance where, um, most of what goes on in finance these days is built on the top of great software development. And then, um, uh, once I graduated, I moved out to, um, Silicon Valley and went through, um, Y Combinator and with the, the, the Swinland team and spent, uh, several several years coding and everything that needed to be coded essentially right so from your experience in economics is there anything unintuitive about the economics of soylent um i think unintuitive um I mean, I think we're definitely trying to be innovative in the sense that we're breaking the typical constraint around food trade-offs. So it's typically healthy, easy, affordable, pick two. Um, If you want something that's healthy and affordable, grow your own food, it's going to take you a long time. If If you don't care about health, you just want easy and cheap, go get fast food. If you want something that's healthy and easy but not affordable go to a restaurant and have a chef cook you a great meal that's super balanced and to your specifications so soylent is supposed to be healthy and is in my opinion healthy easy and affordable so that really breaks that constraint which is typically um typically present in pretty much everything else i can find Mm, interesting um does Soylent have uh, as a company? Do you do you interact at all with the other prominent food startups like Hampton Creek or Impossible Foods? Yeah, we've uh, we've done several media events with them at uh, at various conferences and talks. But um, beyond that, um, I, I'm not aware of anything. Okay, interesting. How how do you think your uh, I think. Yeah, I, I guess I think we're both kind of on on a similar path of trying to um, define what the next generation of food companies looks like. That's mm-hmm. fair. Interesting. Do you cook at all? I don't. Um, I cooked a Thanksgiving turkey though. Oh. But outside of that, it, it's it's a pleasurable. Um, I, I cook out of out of pleasure when I when I get around to it, where I have time and right. want to do that. It's like a social experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, so how far are we from this vision of having like a faucet for our food or like a whatever, like a bioreactor that's making our food or whatever this, you know, the, this this moonshot vision uh, that you guys have? Yeah, um, I don't know. I hope very close, obviously, but there's there's a lot of research to be done and it will take time and there's a lot of development and and. Um, I think, I think that's, I think that's okay. Um, as long as it happens, I'm, I'm happy. Um, I, I can't really, um, divulge any timelines, I suppose. Uh, Uh, I'm just not at liberty to say anything. Yeah, yeah, sure. To begin to close off, what are the, um, what are the software challenges, the, the software engineering challenges that you're facing day to day right now? Yeah, so software is extremely 
ex- extremely exciting in our business. There's there's so much opportunity to improve what we do, how we do things, give people in the organization the tools that they need to do their jobs more efficiently, as well as our customers um, automate what they need uh, so that they can get basically anything they want done immediately, very quickly. Um, there are data challenges all over the organization, as well as um, user experience challenges. We are trying to um, really design a, a world-class e-commerce experience that um, can, really, can really push forward what um, that, that experience is, but it's an, it's an incredibly challenging space given that Amazon is there and there are, there are plenty of companies that do what they do very well, but um, we're, we're really excited about what we have coming in 2016. Cool. Well, um, John, thanks so much for coming on to Software Engineering Daily. It's been really interesting talking to you about Soylent and all the engineering challenges around it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me.